What I tell everyone is that you have to enjoy the journey and not the result. Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. Joining me on today's show is Dr. Serena Huang. How are you? I'm doing well. How have you been, Dave? Good, good. You look, you look. I'm, I'm really pleased that you're joining us today. You're a former guest, uh, and we're going to have a chat about what you've been up to um, a little bit later on in the show. Um, it hadn't escaped my notice, though, that you've you have been uh, declared a top public speaking voice on on LinkedIn, <laughs> one of their top voices of 2023. That's quite an accolade. Yes, thank you. Um, it's um, it's taken a lot of work. <laughs> Yep. And uh, I'm glad that you know, that dream came true this year. Yeah. And that, that's something that kind of you'd set out at the beginning of the year to achieve? or is uh, it kind Last of... year. I think last year I did. Yeah. And, and now it's been a pleasure to actually coach people on um, public speaking, which I, as you know, I love to do. <laughs> um, and and also have opportunities to do workshops in, in more private settings and teach people how to learn to love data with me absolutely and look when we when we had you on the show oh it's getting on now i, I suppose for a year ago you were yeah. maybe a little bit longer you were global head of people analytics um virtualization hr technology at paypal so yes. you have made a very big change to go from <laughs> that big kind of corporate job uh to actually now wearing several different hats i if you asked me a year ago what I will be doing. I, I don't think I could predict any of this with my own predictive analytics. <laughs> um, and in many ways, it's turned out better than I anticipated. Um, and in other ways, I've also learned more through the challenges as a entrepreneur since then. Well, look, it's great that you can join us today. Uh, the interview that we're going to quickly introduce is with Terry Yu, who's the director of product at Kajabi. Uh, stick with us because Serena will be here afterwards. So today I'm talking to Terry, someone who I was lucky to meet um, at Collision this year in Toronto. And I think we were both in, in Rio as well uh, for Web Summit Rio. So kind of getting, getting the word out on technology, certainly, and getting the word out on products because you are director of product at Kajabi, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, and both Brazil and Toronto were a bunch of fun. So I'm glad I met you. First time in either of those or not? Both, yeah. yeah. Hadn't been to Brazil, hadn't been to Toronto. Both were epic cities that I was very excited to go to. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, got to experience that a little bit, but not enough because of the conferences. Yeah, it's always a shame, isn't it? You kind of, yeah. it's, it's, it's that slight balancing act between wanting to go out and have fun and also knowing that you've probably got to wake up and go on stage and say something coherent the next day. Yes, yes, that for sure. And that Brazil, uh, in Brazil, the, the sunset around like 5 p.m. when the conference ended. Yeah. So we couldn't actually do anything afterwards because it was pitch dark already and couldn't experience Brazil as it was. Yeah, although a stunning place and I'm sure somewhere that a lot of people will have fun experiencing as that, that particular conference expands. Um, but look, we've got you on the show because, as I said, director of product at Kajabi, um, but a very successful female founder, um, Vibly, was bought by Kajabi, um, and you were co-founder and CEO of that business. So do you, do you want to set the scene and just tell us who Vibly were and still are in a way as part of Kajabi? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Vibely was a way for creators to host peer-to-peer communities. So think of a Discord or a Facebook group for creators specifically. Um, and you can host events, challenges, you can have discussions, both chat style and feed style. Um, and we were bought by Kajabi, which is the best place for creators to monetize their businesses. We've covered over $5 billion in revenue. Um, they host things like uh, courses, digital products, like coaching, podcasts. Um, there's also landing pages, email marketing. It's an all-in-one solution for creators to sell digital things. And then uh, now they've added community, which is the Vibly piece of it. And it's been rebranded as Kajabi Communities. A little um, sad, but also uh, <laughs> a little happy because it gets to live on. And, you know, a lot of creators are launching their communities on it. You know, we're spreading happiness in, in communities across the world still. So our mission still lives on. But obviously, kind of exiting is perhaps a pipe dream for many founders when they start out. That's like, yeah. oh, wow, you know, kind of the the... the Promised Land. Does it does it come with a slight tinge of sadness that it's fantastic that it's obviously getting to live on, to get resources, to be able to grow, to 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 serve for that community. But at the same time, you've obviously, I assume, relinquished a degree of autonomy and direction oh, that that must yes. sometimes be a little <laughs> bit sad. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I tell everyone is that you have to enjoy the journey and not the result because. Along the way, you think that all you want is some kind of, you know, exit, whether that's like an acquisition or IPO. But as you reach every milestone, you set your sights on something higher and humans are never programmed to be truly happy. And so you have to learn to just every progress or every step of improvement you have to appreciate it, like celebrate it really dwell in that happiness because it's so fleeting. It's just how we buy it. We're like biologically tuned. Um, so yeah, I can talk about all the weird emotions and existentialism that comes with getting acquired, but uh, not complaining. Of course, it was a very rewarding experience. It just, it's not as straight cut as everyone might think. Yeah. Look, just, I'd love to find out a little bit about how your roles developed. Cause I think that's interesting. You know, when you talk to a lot of CEOs, as their business expands, they maybe sometimes realize that they're not the best business figurehead for their business. And they yeah. might bring someone in to be a CEO and they kind of go, well, hang on a minute, where do I fit into this organization? Director of product in Kajabi, was product something you always radiated to prior to the acquisition? Um, kind of how, how, did that, how did that journey itself come about? Yeah. So my background is in product. I was an early growth PM at Asana. I also did a product at a couple startups. Um, and it is a passion area of mine. I love building. I love, you know, working with users and customers and getting their feedback and figuring out what they need and iterating and experimenting, all that stuff. Um, I am a person who has more of a like multifaceted skill set. Like I'm, I don't have depth in much, but I have a lot of breadth. Um, and so, like uh, my background is also like sales. I can do a little bit of marketing, maybe not in the best way possible, but some of it. Um, and what I've learned is that like every everyone has a different not only uh, swath of skill sets but a different stage of company that they are meant to be at. Like if you're at a big company, you know, there's uh, the skill sets of like stakeholder management and of, of collaboration and of like f- 
kind of like more political uh, maneuvering that needs to happen in order to get things done. And uh, that is a strength of some and also a weakness of some. So for example, for me, I've always been more of a go-getter, get things done. Like I don't like politics. I don't like like red tape. I just like to move quickly. And so um, I've learned for myself that I f- excel in the smaller, earlier stage companies um, like pre-seed, seed, series A, et cetera. Once it gets to a certain size as series C and beyond, like that's when the work you do is less about like actual like uh, literal contributions. It becomes more about, you know, making sure there's buy-in, making sure people, you know, have the right reports, process, like all that becomes more important. So it's, yeah, it's the stage that matters, but also the, like, um, the skill set and vertical that you work in, like I am better in consumer than I am necessarily working on like direct to consumer products. Um, I'm also like not the best fit for like say hardware or something else. So, um, every CEO just has to look at who they are, what their strengths are, analyze their skill sets, and then bring in people to, uh, to fill in the roles that they are, are their weaknesses. Um, and the best CEOs can do that and recognize that well. I was going to ask, like, that, that's a really interesting point because recognizing that, you say the best do recognize it, but recognizing yeah. it must be challenging for some, maybe for many. How do you manage that process? How do you kind of get that perspective when you might be kind of someone who's rolling their sleeves up and, and is perhaps a little bit close to, to necessarily take that step back and go, now's the moment to bring in someone with this skill set because this is an area that I'm not quite as strong at. Yeah. So self-awareness is important here. Hopefully there's some uh, like baseline amount that people have that they can think through it. If you don't, the way to develop that self-awareness muscle is to set up reflection times in your your life um, to make sure that you are thinking about it and asking yourself these questions. So whether on a weekly basis or some uh, founders and CEOs I know do like quarterly retreats or you know monthly pullbacks and they just take zoom out a little bit, take time to look at the business from a holistic perspective and then ask themselves questions of like, what am I doing well right now? What do I really enjoy? What am I not doing as well? What do I not enjoy? And then figuring out how to fill in the gaps in which you aren't good at, which everyone has things that they're not good at. One thing that I'd love to ask you that, that you absolutely say, this is something I have skills at. And interestingly, <laughs> when you go on something like, Instagram and TikTok, you see a lot of videos around how-tos on this, how to network. We've we've been in a situation where we're increasingly working in a hybrid world. I think a lot of people have, are reasonably comfortable with that, in truth. And when they find themselves in large environments where they are expected to go out and walk up to someone perhaps that they don't know, it's, it's it can be quite daunting for a lot of people. What what advice have you got? What what do you kind of say to people when it's a it's a case of kind of networking one hundred and one? Yes. So first is mindsets. You need to have a mindset of curiosity and wanting to get to know the other person since others will genuinely sense your enthusiasm. Um, So however you can kind of practice that open-mindedness, I do believe every human has like a unique story or perspective that may be different from mine, but maybe really um, insightful for me to like accumulate into my brain of knowledge. And so having that mentality definitely helps. 
Um, and the second thing is to think of everyone as like a potential seed of connection that you need to find and uh, uncover by digging with questions. And so um, there's a playbook that I've kind of taught our team during the M&A process. I can tell you more about that. Um, but the basic gist is you first make sure you're um, asking initial starter questions. So that's like, where are you from? Uh, where do you live? Like, wh what's your name? Where, what kind of job do you do? Whatever is appropriate in that instance. Maybe you're at an event and it's like, uh, what brought you out to Web Summit? Like, those are all starter questions to help get a initial thread of conversations going. Um, they might respond with like, I'm at Web Summit to, you know, promote my new book, in which case you can ask about the book. And so that's step two, which is, digging further into any kind of topics that they bring up. So um, if it were about the book, you could say like, oh, so tell me about like what caused you to want to write this book. Um, why do you feel like this book means a lot to you? Like what's your launch strategy? How are you thinking about getting this out to readers? And like just asking a lot of questions that pulls out more and more seeds so that you can continue building upon it. Um, and then the third is actually finding that real connection. So after you have practiced step one and two, a lot, you'll start seeing that like, man, you do have things in common with almost everyone you meet. You just have to, have to literally dig so far that you actually learn that, hey, we both love rap or, hey, we both like went to Coachella like two years ago or something. Um, so most people don't even get that far, which is why I think we've had a absence of like Miss, we have an absence of connection that we um, have today, and it would just be a lot more a potent of a, a network um, base if you just you know put yourself out there. And then the last thing is making sure you get someone's contact information. So uh, that is a signal to the connection that this is not just a one-time conversation. We're never going to talk again. Um, you will actually like have a way to get in contact together that you they mean something to you. Um, so always, you know, ask them for their LinkedIn or number, their um, Instagram, whatever floats your boat nowadays. I mean, look, you, you naturally come across as someone engaging and bubbly. Um, oh, that's good. Which, which you would assume <laughs> kind of like, oh, well, you're an extrovert. This is easy for you. But is that true? I mean, is, is it something that you find natural or is it something you've had to work at? And, and if it is something that you've had to work at, has it taken time? It is something that's more natural to me because I'm an extrovert by nature. However, um, it's also something that I've developed like in various childhood communities that I've been part of. So my family was uh, Christian, so I went to a Christian church. Um, also, we were in Taiwanese American Association because I'm Taiwanese. Um, and so I practiced this a lot as a child. But it's definitely learnable because I have worked with our team um, very closely to make sure that they've developed these skill sets when interviewing with our potential acquirers. And so when we were um, going through the process, we had five M&A offers. Kajabi was one of them. Um, I personally trained a lot of our teammates to think about this and actually go through that process. And so I, as long as you apply it and you practice it, um, I believe it's learnable by anyone. You mentioned that you had five M&A offers. Yes. How do you know what's right for your business? Because, yeah, you're, you're, you're 
giving up an element of control, but you obviously want it to thrive and succeed in that new business setting. That must have been a tricky and challenging process. Yes. Yeah. I think the first question we had to figure out was, do we get acquired at all or do we continue? Because we had a Series A term sheet um, in our hands and that was a ticket to continue building and scaling and growing. And at that point, we actually had hit an inflection point of the business. We were growing at 59% month over month. We were hitting six, we were on track to hit 6 million in um, annual recurring revenue. So it was a high time for us. I think what I had to evaluate was number one, where were we in our product market fit journey? Like, did we actually find it or was it just because we were busting our asses off to get there and we, you know, we're still pushing that boulder uphill? I still felt like there was a lot of work to be done to get that amount of growth. So I knew that like we could accelerate by joining forces. The second um, consideration was my personal energy level. So I had been grinding for five years. Our team had been grinding for a long time. I wasn't certain that I could continue going at that uh, speed of and that mentality of like fight or flight force for lo- much longer. And so I did ask myself, should we bring in another CXO to kind of scale what we do have? That person can lead us to the next point, carry the torch forward. But I also felt like it wasn't necessarily fair to the uh, venture fund that offered us um, another round. So at the end of the day, I did want to see the risk and reward um, calculus for these different offers in our hands. And so um, exploring that, I realized that it was a good decision for us to um, make our mission even uh, explode even further with actual uh, larger company called Kajabi, which um, has over 100,000 businesses wanting to use community already in their customer base. And so um, that's why we ultimately sold. That's a, um, a remarkably honest uh, assessment, I suppose, of, of where you were as an individual and leading that business. Look, resilience is, is a trait that we talk about in that kind of the founders makeup the entrepreneurs makeup undoubtedly given the graph for five years you have plenty of resilience um by no means am i not suggesting that by what you've admitted with regards to how much more have i got to give what where are my energy levels at what what do you think resilience means though when we talk about that trait and that quality to make a successful entrepreneur what do you think actually we're talking about Resilience is your ability to continue going even when things are low, which there will be so many during startup times. It's just the name of the game. And so I always tell people it's your story isn't over until you say it is. And when you have resilience, you know, you get so many more chances to hit your shot. And and so I, I think nothing in life is worth that's worth doing is easy and if every if it was everyone would do it like startups are a very high risk high reward game um but at the same time like you can develop a muscle for resilience as well um there's i've been rejected probably over ten thousand times um, in my life whereas most people have probably been rejected a couple hundred and that's the difference between like the success level that i've been i've gotten to and others, it's just I don't let things get me down or hold me back. 
Um, of course, I have emotions. I'm like a human, not a robot, but I definitely um, am willing to do whatever it takes to get to that goal, even if it means lots of falling over, lots of getting slapped in the face, <laughs> lots of um, sleepless nights. And so that's really what has helped me bring this startup to success. So one last question. You're obviously someone who's successful in this industry. You are asked to speak on stage at these conferences, but equally you're going to these conferences and learning yourself. What questions have you got of the industry right now and your peers? Oh my, um, so many questions. I, I'm really interested in AI right now as a topic. And so, you know, I've been tinkering around with a lot of the tools, but I'd love to... Um, hear about all the different amazing things that people are building like with AI. Um, I all have questions around um, what it takes for um, someone to write a book because I was thinking about writing a book. I don't know if I told you, Dave. <laughs> um, but I'm also toe-dipping in some content creation nowadays, especially using the AI tools um, like Descript, um, like Runway, like Canva to really make that process and automate it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. just learning a lot about like the next frontier of um, innovation and um, figuring out how to create businesses and passive income streams from it. Amazing. Look, I really appreciate you giving up some time today and having a, a chat with us and uh, yeah. good luck as, as you continue to lead the business. Thank you so much, Dave. It's such a pleasure. So I, I was keen to have you back on the show. It's great to catch up with you. But equally, as a female entrepreneur, um, what, what are the kind of conversations that you have with other women when talking about the difficulties of starting or leading a business as a woman in, a, in an industry that is dominated, unfortunately, by men? And as someone who also worked in industries dominated by men for a very long time, some of those conversations feel very similar as how do we show up differently as the onlys um, or do we show up differently at all? Um, and I think a lot of rooms that I have walked in and my, my friends who are female founders as well walk in, they, they're the only female founder in the room. Um, and that posts different challenges on what is expected perhaps um but then also i think day to day women and men um some sometimes we see the world differently right mm. um there's a really interesting book um i think it's called invisible woman have you read that i haven't oh it's very interesting so essentially it talks about how we live in this world that is created, designed by men and for men, mm. uh, where women from, you know, how to take public transportation to stay safe to um, other things like furniture being of certain height and size, um, things like that, that just uh, make your daily experience a little bit different. Um, when it comes to entrepreneurship, I, I think there's, um, before I got to this place with three jobs simultaneously, um, it seems like there's a perception that women don't take risk. And I found that to be quite untrue. Um, and a lot of people have, of course, told me how courageous I, I, I have been to leave a safe corporate job to do something on my own. Um, 
and I, I don't know if it's the courage that was driving me. I think it's the certainly the impact that is globally. Um, that's why I decided to do what I do now is um, I wanted to have the impact beyond one company. I wanted to go outside of the wall, wall um, and, and start doing things, um, you know, just uh, and, well, anyone who was willing to have me <laughs> uh, and is in a lovely place I'm willing to travel to <laughs> um, has been the, the criteria. And um, yeah, and, and I think there's part of that challenge that is difficult. Um, and, and also leaving a, the safety net um, of corporate job um, and being able to be successful. Um, so I think the risk taking, in, in my opinion, it's, it's not really true. But I also have met a lot of female founders who are very focused on the impact that they can drive. Mm-hmm. And that makes them very courageous in taking on risks. And um, even many of them who are uh, breadwinners uh, of the house, uh, who are single mothers and um, who are, you know, it's like there's no safety net yeah. for, for that. Um, and I find that admirable. Um, and I also think the community is so important. Perhaps that's the other piece that makes it a bit more difficult, um, where a lot of, and, and sometimes I gather my own data, as you can imagine. So I'll just sit in a coffee shop where I work, um, and I'll listen to random conversations near me. And Always quite fun make, to do that. You never know what you, what you it is. On. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, you, you just never know. And sometimes I would hear very different conversations between men and women. Mm. Um, and and mind you, this is you know in city large cities where um, a lot of people are taking their coffee break with maybe a colleague, maybe a mentor, just for 15, 30 minutes during the middle of the day. And I hear men talking about giant investment deals um, of you know helping each other out, being potentially investors or coming on board as the co-founder just over a casual coffee. Um, and I don't hear that as much among a woman in coffee shops. Again, this is probably a biased sample, right? <laughs> I did not talk to every single person. It's not representing a sample of the world. Um, but no, it but did anecdotal me- stuff like that still still has value, doesn't it? Because it's 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 right. not like you're a lone voice in saying that. That's right, right, right. And so so that makes me wonder. Um, and as I ventured out on my own. I also noticed that a lot of people who are in similar boat as I was um, are men, mm. and and there's you know, um, and that that's just an interesting data point as well. Um, so I started to uh, be more intentional about a community that I am I'm building. So even for the events that that now I. I accidentally got into the events business <laughs> as well. Uh, I now host a lot of events, and I'm very intentional about who comes. Um, so they tend to be invite only, and I yeah. make sure that there's a balance of men and women. Um, and with my now kind of new focus on holistic wellness for busy professionals, you can imagine a lot of women are more likely to sign up. And um, and so I, I think it's just little things like that where it makes me pause 
um, what can I contribute to mm. this unique conversation opportunity with my background? And then also, what can I do to make sure that whether it's, you know, eventually I get to a place where maybe I'll be looking for speakers or panelists, how do I make sure there is diversity in um, that, that is balanced where we can see different perspectives um, as opposed to more traditionally just repeating what was done in the past? Let's let's pause for a second then, because... Um... No, I was I was very lucky to catch up with you in London in the spring. I, I know yeah. I know what you've been up to, yeah. but obviously our listeners <laughs> don't know what you've been up to since since you left um, PayPal. You, you've mentioned that you you wear three different hats effectively. Yes. Your your main is it is it fair to say your main height is data, data with Serena? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm the founder CEO of Data with Serena, which, uh, which, which you is... said was a risk, and <laughs> yes. I'm not doubting it, but it's been rather successful. Yes, yes. I, uh, um, yeah, I was able to reach my annual revenue goal within four months. Um, Amazing. (laughs) Thank you. And and I thought, you know, I would um, maybe take the summer off and just lay on the beach uh, somewhere. But of course, no, I did not do that. (laughs) Um, Instead, I I also launched uh, about to launch another one, but two kind of a series of people analytics courses on LinkedIn learning mm-hmm. <laughs> as, um, uh, as an instructor. And that takes, gosh, that takes a lot of work. People, people don't tell you. So <laughs> please, if you check out my course, uh, yeah, know that there's a lot of uh, blood, sweat and tears that went into it. <laughs> so, 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 so there's yeah. two things I really wanted to ask. Yeah. First of all, it would be yeah. great to get just for anyone listening, a 30-second description of what Data with Serena is. But then, as a second question, because in, in the interview with Terry that we played earlier, she talks about um, tips for networking at conferences. Oh, yes. Difficult. <laughs> uh, uh, but have, she, she has some good insight on that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. But what about networking online? What about networking on LinkedIn? Because increasingly, that's an important skill that, yes. that people don't really know how to do as well. So, Give us, give us the 30-second right. context setter on, on Data with Serena, and then how should we go about networking, given what you're talking to yep, execs about absolutely. on LinkedIn? Yeah, um, so I am on a mission to help the world learn to love data with Serena, mm-hmm. and hence the company name Data with Serena. Um, I really just go, um, so a lot of speaking uh, workshops, focusing on how to tell story with data. Um, and I kind of aim for two different audiences that where I have been on both ends of that. One is an analyst hands-on, you play with data, you have to present data. How do you convince people to take action with the data you're presenting? So that's one core audience. And the other is you're on the receiving end. So of course, uh, I, I was in that chair as well as an executive, and I'm sure every executive can tell you the presentations they've set through where 10 minutes later, they still have no idea what the main message is and they're just charts and charts and charts of data so i want to make sure on both ends that uh, we don't have that um you know unpleasant experience when it comes to data mm. um so i'm also teaching executives to think differently by asking the right questions to the the analyst who's presenting the data and that takes work it doesn't come natural to every executive who may think they know data really well but how do you communicate that to an analyst who is so excited to show you the data that I have got, but uh, perhaps um, perhaps isn't presented in the yeah. best way. 
Um, and so I also partner with universities, uh, corporations in giving this type of training in person and virtually um, and helping everyone become better consumers and users of data. Um, and just occasionally for fun, since I am a creator as well, <laughs> I partner with brands and events to help them promote um, this is the place to be. <laughs> um, not because I'm going to be there, but because of all the other people <laughs> who will be there. Well, and, and, um, so and yourself. Right, right. That always helps because, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of taking great selfies mm. everywhere <laughs> I go. <laughs> We've been there. <laughs> selfies, selfies. Look, to that second point, selfies. Very useful on 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 social, um, getting yes. people to kind of relate and go, okay, this is this is, yeah, see what they're up to. But how yes. how do we communicate, network effectively on LinkedIn? Because it's this yeah. tool that we're all we all without question now use. Um, but I, I think there is a, a lack of understanding sometimes around how, around how to get the best out of it and connect to people. Yes. Yeah. And, and I don't think there is, on principle, a huge difference in networking online and networking in person. Mm. Like, imagine, think think back to a conversation that you really enjoyed at a in-person event. You probably got value out of that, I bet, in one way, you know, shape or another. Like, whether it's connecting with a person on a common interest or finding out, potentially, you know, next job, next role, or someone who's just doing something really exciting. Um, and, and so I think about the value that we can create for the person on the other side of that cocktail or coffee. <laughs> um, what would that be for you? And that's how I approach relationship building and networking, both online and offline. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I, I think a lot of times people get it wrong by being too transactional about networking and relationship building, as in, I will invite you to come give a talk if X, right? Or I will connect you with a recruiter that I know if Y. And, and that's, you know, that's okay. <laughs> but to take it to the next level, the real opportunities we know most jobs are not actually advertised online, even on a platform like LinkedIn. We know those job opportunities sometimes are behind closed doors, just someone having the budget to create a role of some sort. And what does it take for you to be the first to to know that? Is relationships, right? It's strong relationships where they know you can provide value to the organization in that role. So, um, So this obviously takes time but i think focusing on what value you can provide to the other person is key um and and so so i I think that's that's one right and and then two just being staying curious (laughs) it goes a long way um the the one skill that many of us have trouble doing these days uh, especially post pandemic and our attention span is not shorter is staying in a conversation active listening <laughs> um, actually being curious about what the other person is saying and and instead of listening to respond we're listening to to just listen to listening to learn um, and I think that goes a long way um, but yeah finally don't, don't be afraid to reach out to people on LinkedIn 
um, you'll be amazed what what happens <laughs> from those relationships. I've definitely converted a lot of uh, relationships online to real friendship, and and we now have in person coffee and and lunch, um, and and so so I think there's a ton of value to that. Um, but like, I, so I also coach people on on content creation on LinkedIn, and the number one key is make it about your audience. And don't make it about you. Whether you're reaching out to someone or you're creating content, it's not for you. It's for them. Hmm. Um, yeah. That could be hard to do as well because... <laughs> you don't know who they are. Well, yes. or you don't know what they want. You're kind of second guessing all the yes. time, right? Yes, yes. Uh, and, and this is where I found data analytics to be very helpful. Um, so one of the approaches that you can take when it comes to content creation is through experiments. Mm. Let's say you have three topics that you like to share knowledge on. There's probably one of them that really resonates with your audience. Uh, keeping in mind that your audience could, of course, evolve over time. Um, maybe try the same format on those three topics and check the analytics. See which one has the highest engagement. Um, that tells you a little bit on which message is landing, which one is not, so you can continue to evolve and learn. Um, that's how I approach the, you know, the content creation side of things. And, um, um, and it's, yeah, like I said, it's not easy, but I'm often surprised as well. Um, for example, as a, uh, as a older millennial, I'm surprised that my message lands very well with a lot of Gen Z. Yeah. for instance, and uh, and a lot of Gen X. Um, not that it doesn't land with millennials, but I sort of thought, well, it would be people in my generation. And the reason being, there's a lot of executives who are thinking, gosh, you are doing this early if there are Gen, Gen X, thinking, I wish I had built a personal brand where I could retire sooner. Uh, help me get off this corporate wheel uh, so I can also enjoy the light that you seem to be enjoying now. Um, and then on the other spectrum, the Gen Z who are um, reaching out to me for, for this type of coaching, they're saying, Serena, I don't want to wait until I'm in my late 30s to do this. I want to do it now. <laughs> Can you help me with it? Uh, I've had a couple jobs and I want to be an entrepreneur as well. So so I've been pleasantly surprised by just by having an audience that you can create an impact beyond what you can imagine. Um, um, but yeah, like I said, definitely use the data analytics that comes with the platform to see who is commenting, you know, what demographic they are in, uh, what industries. And, and so you can continue to tailor your message better. Well, it's been Awesome to catch up with you. Thanks for giving a bit of time. And, and look, if you if you were to Google data with Serena, pretty easy to find you and connect if someone was wanting to, to chat to you on LinkedIn. So yes. probably advise someone to do that, right? Easiest way. Just Google oh, data absolutely. with Serena. Absolutely. Yes. And look, I really appreciate you also taking the time, given that it's the beginning of four episodes where we're focusing on female founders in the lead up to the launch of our film. There will be Amazing. a live stream um, premiere on the 5th of October there will be a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to join us for that it's at 4pm BST so British summertime not too early for those of you in the States not too early no kind of mid-morning coffee there we yeah. go it'll be a, a, a 25 minute watch yeah okay. um, cool. so yeah it'd be great if you could join us for that but uh, thanks for your time and we'll be back on Thursday 
Thank you so much for having me.